here this morning, and uh, if you are here uh, for the first time this morning, special welcome to you. Glad you found your way uh, to our place this morning, and uh, hope you feel welcomed at your time with us. If you'd like any more information, there is a uh, bulletin. You should have gotten one on the way in that's got things that are going on in the in the days ahead, um, and also if you would like to fill out a Connect card and return that to one of our uh, greeters at the welcome table, uh, they can get any information that would be helpful uh, to you. Um, speaking of things coming up, I do want to let you know that we are having a uh, sweetheart dance that's coming up, so just a little personal plug. We did this last year uh, for the first time. It's just something to bring uh, marriages and couples together in a fun environment. So we're doing a really nice catered dinner here. Um, it's going to be actually out in the commons area, I believe, and setting the whole place up um, for a banquet kind of setting, and we're bringing in a uh, ballroom dance instructor, and uh, so um, you doing dance, quick dance lesson, and just having a nice uh, romantic night for uh, couples. So I'd encourage you to check that out if you fall into that category of couples, and uh, you could use something to um, just celebrate the Valentine's Day um, kind of season. Um, so we're looking forward to that. And... Um, All right, I'm going to pray, and we are going to jump into God's Word together this morning. So thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day you've given to us. Uh, Lord, I just thank you for um, the opportunity, Lord, to open up your Word once again. And as we do that together, Lord, we pray uh, that by your Holy Spirit, you would open up our hearts, Lord, that you would do that work on the inside of our lives. And uh, Lord, put your finger on those places that you want to transform, Lord, that we might be reshaped. Uh, in the depth of our being, into the likeness of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we are going to uh, finish up on the series that we've been looking through over the past several weeks. Uh, Listen up, I'm sorry, speak up, listen up. Uh, Speak up, God is listening. And listen up, God is speaking. And the the focus has been on cultivating uh, our prayer lives, our, our time to connect with the Lord And um, we're going to turn to a passage this morning that includes both parts of that equation, the speak-up part as well as the listen-up part, and puts them both together. And it's a a passage that charts one of the biggest um, challenges when it comes to doing life with God, doing life for God. And it, 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 it talks about the times when we get frustrated, the times when we get discouraged, the times when we are at the end of our ropes, exhausted, and, and what it looks like uh, to work through those moments, even our worst moments, with the Lord. And so if you have a Bible, I invite you to open it up to Kings chapter 19, and uh, it'll also be on the screen here beside me. And we're going to look at, just as a, as a um, start here, we're going to look at a very dark episode from one of the greatest characters of the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah. Now, a little bit about Elijah. Elijah, he kind of stands right at the very top of the towering figures of the Old Testament. Like when you think of, you know, just the best of the best, you kind of, Elijah is right up there. And uh, he ministered during a time when God's people were just consumed with compromise. They were going downhill quickly and Elijah stepped in and courageously called them to return, to repent, to come back to the Lord. And he did this with 
unprecedented boldness. Um, at the time, uh, there was a king in the land in Israel. His name was King Ahab, and uh, he was married to Queen uh, Jezebel, and together um, they were leading the charge to take Israel to new depths of depravity. They had for their primary agenda was to establish idolatry, the, the worship of the false god Baal as the primary religion of Israel, of the land. And the only obstacle that stood in their way was this guy, Elijah. And so Elijah was like this one-man army. He just dramatically demonstrated time and time again that the Lord was the only true God, that the Lord was the only one who was worthy of worship. And so, um, and so some of the most amazing stories in the Bible are Elijah's stories. Uh, like when he prayed, uh, he prayed for the rain to stop, and, and it stopped raining for three and a half years. And, and, and God sent ravens to supernaturally feed him. And, uh, and every time the king would try to hunt him down and find him, he was able to evade them and hide and just get away. And, and it's just amazing things. But it's the chapter previous to the one that we're going to look at this morning. That is sort of the, the, the pinnacle moment of Elijah's prophetic ministry. It is the, called the contest at Mount Carmel. And I think it's kind of cool that we live in the town um, that has a little bit of a Bible reference to it, right? We can talk about Carmel, New York, and just kind of think about what are some of the similarities between where we live and what was going on in, in Scripture at Mount Carmel. So I'm going to summarize this episode because we don't have enough time to look through the whole thing this morning, but it's going to help us make sense of what we're going to go and look at this morning. So Elijah single-handedly calls out the 450 prophets of this idol-worshiping uh, Baal idol. And he, he calls them out. He challenges them to this winner-take-all showdown. Let's settle for once and for all who is going to be Israel's God. It's either going to be Baal or it's going to be the Lord. And he says the winner is going to be the one whose God can rain down fire on the altar. And so that was, that was the contest and he let the prophets of the idol worshipers go first. They went first, and they spent hours just working themselves up into this frenzy, trying to do whatever they could do to get their God to do something. But when all was said and done and they were exhausted, nothing happened. So after that, Elijah steps up, and in typical dramatic Elijah fashion, he doesn't just pray to have you know, fire come down first, he precedes that by having the altar drenched with buckets of water. We're going to pour four buckets of water over this altar, and it's so much water that it's spilling over, forming a puddle around the altar. And then after that, he prays to the Lord, and fire falls from heaven. It burns up not only the sacrifice, it burns up the wood, it burns up the stones, it burns up the soil, and it even burns up the water. So, okay, so that is that's Elijah. That's like, that's vintage Elijah. He was like an epic guy who lived an epic life and did epic things. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I can uh, look at guys like that and I always kind of wonder, did Elijah maybe wear a cape? You know, because 
He kind of sounds like something right out of a Marvel movie to me, like almost a superhuman kind of quality about his life. But then in James chapter 5, verse 17, it says this, Elijah was a man just like us. It's this reminder that despite all of his heroics, he was made out of flesh and bone, and, and that means that he also had his share of struggles, just like you and just like me. And so it's on the heels of that great victory at Mount Carmel, that overwhelming demonstration of the Lord's might and power, that Elijah experiences his greatest struggle. Uh, he finds himself at a place of absolute despair. Let's read. We're going to read in verse, um, verse 1 from 1 Kings chapter 19. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. So this is the response. Elijah is running scared. He's running for his life. And, and, and so all that trademark courage and strength and faith, it evaporates in this moment, the single moment when he receives this message from Queen Jezebel. Because he must have been anticipating a message after everything that went down. He was eagerly expecting what the royal response was going to be, anticipating in light of Mount Carmel, things are going to turn around. But that wasn't the response that he got. Her response shows that she's dug her heels in. She has taken a vow, promised to take him out, and Elijah's heart and his soul sinks when he hears that, and he turns into the shell of a man that he had once been. And uh, it's a pretty pretty sad picture there. Um, And you know what? Here's here's what I often find is that it's at this point, oftentimes, um, we want to do something about that. We want to figure this out. We want to try to explain why did this happen to Elijah? We want to identify where did he go wrong and what should he have done differently? That's usually the mode we go into. We, we, we tend to turn episodes like this into morality lessons and say things like, well, you know what? Elijah should have just trusted God. Here's the thing, just in case you in, have thoughts of going there, until you've called down fire from heaven, okay, you may not be in a position to criticize Elijah's faith. Just, just saying it, just putting that out there. But I think the point of the passage, it has less to do with what Elijah may have done wrong. And maybe it's a lot more about recognizing that in our own journey of faith, that what happened to him can happen to us. If it happened to a spiritual superhero, then surely we're not exempt. Maybe it's more about recognizing that on our own journey of faith, we can be in Elijah's shoes because there's highs and there's lows to this faith walk. And and we go from the mountaintops to the valleys pretty quick. And so it doesn't matter 
how strong someone is, any of us can find ourselves running in Elijah's shoes, running away. And sometimes all it takes is just someone responding in a way that we didn't anticipate, that we didn't expect, and suddenly it can feel like the whole world is crashing down around us. And when that happens, the instinct response is to run away, to escape, just like Elijah did. When you've done everything you can possibly do, but there doesn't seem to be any change as a result, it's a pretty, it's a pretty tough place to be, and we tend to run. You know, Maybe today uh, we don't run into the desert like Elijah did. We run to the, to the mall to shop. We run to a bottle to drink, or we run to a TV to escape. There's, there's so many different ways that we run away. And so let's just start out by just recognizing that, right? Just recognizing this reality that if it happened to him, it can happen to us. We're not exempt. And and there's a possibility that uh, maybe you're running away right now. And and if that's the case, I just want to say I'm glad that somehow you ran and found your way here into this place. I think there's an intention uh, to that. So let's keep on walking with Elijah. Let's keep on tracking through his story and see how God met this runaway when he was at the edge of despair. So it says this, When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, and while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his hand was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again, and the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mount of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? So Elijah starts out, and here we we hear his prayer request. Um, His prayer request is for the Lord to end his life. That's that's where Elijah was at at this moment in time. And and maybe for the first time, uh, God doesn't answer his prayer request. And, And we can just stop and say, aren't you thankful for unanswered prayer sometimes, you know, uh, for those times that God doesn't give you what you ask for, what you want, but he gives us what we need. And so in response, he sends an angel to Elijah, and this angel feeds him. He gives him food and sends him on his way, and he goes off to this 40-day journey that ultimately leads him to Mount Horeb, which is the, the, pl- the mountain of God, the place where he would encounter the living God. And We're going to talk about that more in just a moment, but let me start out by just pointing out this one thing, that even when we are at our worst, God is still present. He is still faithful. He is there to turn to. In fact, he's the one who initiates this whole thing. He reaches out to Elijah. And and this can be a reminder to uh, to us that there's, there's just no way to outrun God. 
right? No matter where we go, no matter how far we run, we're not going to get away from him. And he finds us, he meets us where we're at, and he is willing and able to work through whatever it is that we're working through. And so we ask this, this simple question, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? That's, that's kind of a, a way of saying, what's going on, Elijah? What's your story? It's this invitation from God to open up and get real in prayer. And when you're struggling with something, when, 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 when you've got something on your heart that is just pushing you to run away, um, that hurt, that longing, that disappointment, whatever it is, this invitation is the same to us. Lay it out. Speak up. Shows here God is listening. He's listening. He wants not only to speak to us, but he wants to hear from us. And, and so I'd invite you to maybe personalize that question that the Lord asked Elijah and bring it to your own point of pain, to your own point of distress. What, what are you doing here, Brian? You know, and it's an invitation to kind of just get beyond the platitudes when it comes to prayer. You know, we want to, sometimes we want well, I want to pray the right way. I want to use the right words. I want to say the right things. And more than anything, prayer is about getting real and being honest and laying it out. Pour your heart out. And that's the invitation the Lord extends to Elijah. And Elijah takes it up. He starts unpacking all of this stuff that had been bothering him for so long. Uh, Let's read about it. He says here, he says, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. So we see something here that... uh, Elijah was struggling with the way things were going. Or to be more accurate, he was really struggling with the way things weren't going. Right? And his issue, if you look at it at the, at the core level, it wasn't with Queen Jezebel. It wasn't with King Ahab. It, it wasn't with the Israelite people. His issue was with God. He was disappointed He was discouraged. He was disillusioned that God didn't seem to be cooperating with what he was doing. All these different things Elijah was trying so hard, giving his all to do. None of it seemed to be making any difference. God didn't seem to be getting with the game plan. I don't know if you've ever been there. I'm sure you have. I think we all get there from one at one time or another where it's just kind of bothersome at a very deep level with God's seeming lack of cooperation with you and what you're doing and your agenda and all the good things that are going on. And God, this is just not the way this is supposed to go. Um, I was supposed to get that promotion. These people were supposed to respond to all the good things I was doing. This is not the way I saw my life playing out. I thought I was doing this for that, and now it's not the case. You know, for Elijah, you have to understand something. His entire life was set up around a singular goal that he had in mind to accomplish. Prophets at that time, their goal was not to just affect the people, it was to affect the king, and the king would then affect the people. And so his one intention 
was to turn the kings back to the Lord. And he was this all-in kind of guy. And so when he went to bed at night, that was the last thing on his mind. When he woke up in the morning, that was the first thought of the day. And there was that Mount Carmel experience, that high point. That was supposed to be the breakthrough moment. That was the moment that was going to turn the whole thing around. Except it didn't. It didn't go down that way. And so here's Elijah. I did everything I could possibly do. I have got nothing that can top that Mount Carmel experience. I've done it all. I've given my best. And at the end of it, not a single thing has changed. Jezebel, not only did she not repent, she threatened to take my life. What, what's the point? Your people, they're still as far away from you as they've ever been. And the altars are still a mess. And the prophets are getting killed. And on top of that, he says, Lord... I've made it to number one on the queen's most wanted list. What are we doing, God? What's the game plan? Because if you haven't noticed, we're not gaining any ground. We're losing. And basically he says, I'm done. I quit. This is the end of the story for me. This is an expression of a hopeless man. Hopelessness, by definition, is getting to that place where you believe that no matter how much you give, how much you do, the situation is not going to change. And when you keep on giving everything you have to give, but the outcome doesn't move at all, that can over time turn into a very bitter pill to swallow. And when you push and you push so hard for whatever that moment of breakthrough is that you're believing for, that you're trusting for, that you're working for, and then the breakthrough actually comes, but nothing changes. How hopeless is that? That's when hope starts dissolving, when discouragement starts settling in and hearts start hardening and despairs come knocking at your door. That's where Elijah was. And if that's where you're at, if that it all sounds similar to where you're at this morning, just realize that there is a way out from there. Uh, But it's going through that. It is working through that. So even those times where we start wondering, God, what are you doing? It doesn't seem like you're doing anything. And, and, you know, disappointment is something um, we don't really talk a lot about, but it is a part of our faith journey. Everyone's faith journey. Um, And it needs to get worked through. It needs to get processed or it will stall it out. And so maybe you've you've never actually expressed it, but maybe what you're struggling with is, God, I'm just just frustrated because I can't seem to figure out why you're not doing what so obviously needs to get done. The Lord listens to Elijah and after listening, he then speaks And here's what he says. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. The Lord said to him, go back 
the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. All right. Um, So work through the first part of that. Instead of responding uh, with an explanation, do you notice that God instead responds by giving Elijah a revelation. Elijah, at first, he didn't need an explanation. He he needed revelation. And and I think it's likely that that's true of you and I when we are stuck in our seasons of discouragement. Our greatest need is not for God to explain things to us. It's for him to reveal himself to us, to, to have a close encounter uh, with the living God, to, to encounter him for who he is and not just who we want him to be. And, and that's kind of what's happening here. Uh, we need to get close enough to break those boxes that we try to contain God into. You know, the box of God, this is the way that you need to work. This is the way things have to go, and I'm, I'm putting that on you, that expectation on you. And here, what God is doing is he's revealing himself to Elijah in a new way, in a way that he had never experienced God before, in a way he hadn't known yet, but it was the way that he needed to see God and experiencing him. So first comes this mighty wind, right? You know, this, this wind that levels the ground and rips the mountains apart, and surely, Elijah's thinking, that means that God is in the house, right? Winds and howling and all that. That's got God written all over it. It's big, it's loud, it's dramatic. But God's not there. He wasn't in it. And then after that, act two is the earthquake, right? The, the ground shakes and the ground, the earth opens up and Elijah's like, yeah, that's right, here we go. You know, when God shows up, he rocks the earth, That's the God I'm talking about. But no, God's not there either. Then a fire comes, like the fire that Elijah called down from heaven at Mount Carmel. Big, booming, dramatic spectacle. Yes, that's God, right? No, God's nowhere to be found in any of those dramatic events. Finally, after that, he hears the sound of this gentle whisper. Now, that is, that's the last thing a guy like Elijah would ever have associated with God, right? This prophet guy, this quiet hush comes over the place, and there's this, this still, small voice, so small and so still that if you didn't stop and you didn't listen, you wouldn't even hear it. It says, that was God, That was the voice of the Lord saying, I'm here, Elijah. I am at work. But understand this, at the moment, I am working in a different way than you're expecting, than you're assuming. 
And so something's got to shift here. Something's got to change. Are you okay with that? Can you get on board with me not working according to your expectations? Because I'm not working in explosive and exponential ways. Instead, I'm working in quiet and incremental ways. But I'm working. That's the important thing. You know, disappointment Here's the thing, if we are willing to walk through it, if we are willing to follow it to its source and bring it to the Lord, it can open the door to discovering God in new and fresh ways. Um, So don't shut the door on disappointment. Jump into it, lean into it, and see where it it follows you, where, where it takes you, because you will find that God is always at work but he may not be at work in the ways that we assume or we expect. And so maybe you're, you're like an Elijah type, right? You just, you know, when God works, the ground shakes, you know? It's big, it's dramatic, it's emotional. There's like, you know, power. Um, it's the next big thing. And yeah, that, that is the case in certain seasons at some times. But maybe he's brought you to a new season, where he's choosing to work in your life, not in these big explosive ways, but just these small strategic ways. And the invitation that he so lovingly and gently extends to Elijah, he extends to us. Can you get on board? Can you follow me there? And, and so he again repeats the question to Elijah. Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah, he gives the same answer, but now... Now he's at this place where he can hear, where he's tuned into the voice of God. And he finds out that he does serve, as we do, a serve a very big God who sometimes chooses to work in very small, strategic ways. He is Lord of the incremental, just as much he is Lord of the exponential. And so he gives these instructions to Elijah, and it kind of sounds a little strange, um, but he's basically telling Elijah to go back home, go back doing what you were doing before, but on the way, he says, stop at three different places. Anoint three new leaders. And the reality is, no one was going to notice this for the most part. There wasn't going to be a lot of fanfare, and the impact of what those actions were going to do wouldn't be felt for a pretty long time. But the outcome of these small strategic actions, they would set in motion a chain of events that over the course of time would affect a wholesale change in the landscape of Israel. Everything that Elijah was so passionate about was going to happen, but it was going to happen in a small and incremental way. So don't mistake small for insignificant. We can do that, right? Don't believe just because God is not working in explosive ways that he's not working in significant ways. And I hope God does work in explosive ways. I love it when he does that. And if he chooses to do that, we have to be open to that too. But it may very well be that his agenda in our lives is to accomplish things that no one else sees except you and him and shows fruit and bears fruit in seasons to come. So right now in your life, there may be some things God is calling you to do. Small things. 
and you just may be tempted to dismiss them, blow them off. This doesn't matter. It's insignificant. Remember, there is no such thing as an insignificant work of God. God is always at work, but he's not always at work in the ways that we prefer or the ways that we're familiar with. And coming to terms with that, resolving that, wrestling through that can shift our lives from from despair and bring us to a place of delight where we can see and discover and encounter him in new ways, in, in wonderful ways. And so as we continue in our times of prayer with the Lord and our encounters with God, we have to just recognize always that we don't have him figured out. He's not in a box. His ways are not our ways. And, and one of the ways you can know if the God that you serve is the real God is that he doesn't always agree with you. He doesn't always work according to your plan or your schedule. And so we're going to constantly be hitting up against these things because this God that we serve and worship is eternal and infinite and almighty and everything that we are not. And, and even though it's, it's hard and it takes a lifetime, there's this beautiful opportunity to let go and let God be God instead of assuming ourselves in that position. And that's a beautiful thing. Let's pray together. Lord,